In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The picture you're looking at is an engraving by Albrecht Dürer, a German artist who lived prior to the Reformation and during the Reformation. He eventually got on board with the, the Lutheran program. He became a Lutheran. But this is an engraving. Uh, it's not pencil or anything like that. It, you can see it's exquisite detail. But it seems that the artist completely ran out of creative juice whenever it came time to give this thing a title. Here's the title. Night, Death, and the Devil. See, not very creative. But it does tell you exactly what's going on in the picture, and for that I'm thankful. As you can see, there's this well-armored knight riding on a majestic steed. Eyes forward. Singularly focused. There's death behind him, riding its pale horse and holding up an hourglass. And on the other side, if you can see him, there's the devil. And he's throwing out taunts and blasphemies. This night is clearly in the thick of a wilderness, the valley of the shadow of death, as there's a skull in the bottom corner. I, I don't think you can see it in this picture, but there's a skull in the bottom that, that indicates that this is the valley of the shadow of death. No doubt about it. This is tough sledding. This is not for the faint of heart. But it doesn't seem to bother him. He's undeterred. Why? If you look in the background, you can see that he's heading into this beautiful city on a hill. This artistic symbol for the kingdom of God. It's one thing to actually look at this picture on a screen. I was blessed to actually see a really nice print of this um, whenever I went uh, up to Missouri last month. And I got to spend some time with Chaplain Matt Mortensen, one of our former elders here. Whenever he showed me his, his new office, a, a real nice big office, by the way, but hanging on his wall was this picture. And uh, we looked at the picture and we talked about it and kind of uncovered the, the different layers of meaning that are there. And it was this great source of encouragement to both of us. I think that this is the type of encouragement we need to bring with us along in the Lenten journey, indeed, through our whole lives. Because the season of Lent gives expression to the biblical idea and the boots-on-the-ground reality that the Christian life is fraught with peril and danger, with trials and temptations, with wilderness after wilderness. Whether it's physical, spiritual, or emotional, we so often find ourselves traipsing through the wastelands like Good Sir Knight. But unlike Good Sir Knight, we are not exactly sitting pretty upon that steed. And we're not keeping it steady as she goes. So often we've got our helmet on backwards. We're uh, nearly falling off the horse. We don't know how to use that sword and the devil's allurements sound good to us from time to time. We're far from the ideal that this picture portrays. But fear not. Because there's nowhere that we can go that Jesus has not already been. 
And because that's true, we are of good courage. We need not fear death, nor the devil, nor the dangers and perils of this life in the wilderness, because Jesus has already overcome them all. In all things, he has gone before us and he has carved out this cruciform path that we must travel as his followers from cradle to the grave. And every step along the way, in all ways that we are tested, whether we are afraid or courageous, we can see the footprints of our Savior who has already been there, done that. And what a tremendous comfort that is. It's a comfort to us on this Lenten journey. It's a comfort to us throughout our entire lives. Our gospel reading for today in Mark begins this way. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Jesus began his journey to the cross in the wilderness. That's where John was baptizing for the forgiveness of sins. Why must Jesus begin there? Because that's where Israel, God's covenant people, fell the hardest. And not only is that where they fell the hardest, but that's where they were brought into the promised land through the waters of the Jordan. His public reception of the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove indicated that he was the new Israel. He had come to be the anointed servant of God who would carry out his will perfectly. And not only did Jesus come to stand in the place of God's Old Testament people, but also in yours and mine. It was a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. It was a baptism not for Jesus' sins, because he had none, but for the forgiveness of all sins as he stood in the waters as a substitute for all sinful humanity. And it certainly qualifies us. He began in the wilderness because that's where Israel of old fell and because that's where you and I find ourselves. The wilderness, with all of its perils and dangers, its trials and temptations. So Jesus received baptism for you. He received the Holy Spirit for you. He received the protection and power of God according to his human nature so that he would go before us. There's nowhere that we can go that Jesus has not already been. We followed him into baptism. We are united with him now. So what's next? The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. One of Mark's favorite words is immediately. This is Mark's way of saying that the baptism of Jesus and the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness are intimately connected. 
His baptism is what caused the next thing to happen. The Spirit drove him out. But where? Into the wilderness. A better translation of the Greek there is the Spirit threw him out into the wilderness. We don't like that rendering of it because it sounds kind of harsh and it sounds like Jesus is going somewhere against his will. But nope, Jesus was happy to be compelled by the Spirit of God. That is what he had come to do. Israel had failed to live by the Spirit's leading. You and I have failed to live by the Spirit's leading. How many times have you and I fallen off that horse? Not so with Jesus. So if the Spirit saw fit to throw him out there, so be it. And what exactly was he thrown out there to do? Battle with Satan. Not with divine superpowers, not with a cheat uh, cheat code, but as a man for you, for me, for Israel, for all who would become Israel through baptism into him. I love Mark's account of the temptation because it doesn't waste a whole lot of time with details. It doesn't tell you the three specific temptations. It leaves it broad and vague. And I think that we would do well to to understand why Mark is doing this in his gospel. Jesus wants to show you that he has come to meet with you in your wilderness, wherever it might be. He has come to be with you at your work desk where you battle crippling depression. He has come to be with you in your bedroom where you battle sleepless nights racked with anxiety. He has come to be with you in the grocery store where you struggle to keep yourself from lust. He has come to be with you at your doctor's appointments where the medical bills keep mounting and you're not sure how you're going to make it all work. He has come to be with you in the, sh- in the valley of the shadow of death where Satan is after you. Jesus has come to prevail there in your wilderness. It's no accident that Jesus was baptized and immediately thrown out into the wilderness. It's the same for us. We have received holy baptism and the power of God's Spirit, but now He has thrown us out into the wilderness. But we are far from alone. There's nowhere that we can go that Jesus has not already been. Jesus is with us every step of the way, reminding us that He has been there and done that, and He has triumphed for us, for you. So you don't have to fear the devil. Yes, we are called to be sober-minded about his power. Peter says uh, in his epistle that he is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to, to devour. But also that we are called to resist him firm in our faith. Is that by our own might or strength? 
No, but by the power of the Holy Spirit given to us in our baptism. See, God knows what He's doing. He does not send you out into the wilderness without giving you what you need. While Jesus was in the wilderness, He was with the wild beasts. I like that part of the text for several reasons, but this is not Jesus cuddling with squirrels and deer that can keep him warm in the cold desert nights. In the Old Testament, the beasts of the wilderness were always associated with Satan's realm, with danger, with with death. Jesus faced death on every side, and yet he was unharmed. Recall our psalm that we prayed earlier, Psalm 91. This is talking about Jesus. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Jesus was kept from all evil during his wilderness journey so that you would be as well. Nothing can touch your salvation because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is your refuge. Angels ministered to Jesus while he was in the wilderness. It probably means that they brought him food. Has God not also arranged for his holy angels to be with you, to minister to you in all your needs? He not only sends his heavenly angels to minister both, uh, both physically and spiritually, but also his human ones. For the word angel simply means messenger. You have a pastor. You have fellow Christians who care for you, who speak words of comfort and encouragement to you in the wilderness. You have people who literally feed you physical food when you need it. It may feel as if you are alone in the wilderness, and the devil certainly wants you to think that, but I promise you, you're not. There's nowhere that we can go that Jesus has not already been. He is with us, and he has sent his holy angels to be with us and to help us. He himself received the care and ministry of God's angels because he knew that we would need it. And where does Jesus' journey end in our text today? With the kingdom of God. He came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. When Jesus came out of the wilderness preaching the kingdom of God, he was saying that if you want to find the kingdom of God, look at him. Where is the kingdom of God? wherever Jesus is. He would go on to show his disciples and the whole world how he would ultimately triumph over Satan and establish his reign and rule through his cross and his resurrection. There on Calvary, your king went before you to suffer in your place, to crush your enemy beneath his nail-pierced feet and to make it so that no matter what wilderness you're in, you'll be with him. Always. 
And more than that, he was raised in victory and he ascended on high that he may go and prepare a place for you. There's nowhere that we can go that Jesus has not already been. So be of good courage. When you look at the engraving and you see your failures in the wilderness, don't lose heart. See your Savior who traveled that dark road perfectly without once wavering, without once being afraid, but fully trusting in his heavenly Father. Remember why he was thrown out into the wilderness, that is, this world of sin, sorrow, and death, into the realm of Satan, so that he would triumph over the father of lies, so that he would set you free from his clutches, and he would bring you safely into the kingdom of his Father. You're well on your way to that great city in the distance. The kingdom of paradise is yours. And one day your wilderness will be a distant memory. Wherever he is, that's where the kingdom is. So, eyes forward, good soldier. You've been clothed in the full armor of God through the waters of your baptism. You walk alongside the angels of God through your own wilderness in life. And more than that, you walk with the king himself. There's nowhere that you can go that he hasn't already been. He is with you in whatever you've been thrown into today. And he's not going anywhere. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit,